Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. On this episode, our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, begins a new series called Christmas Questions. If you want to watch the video of this message or listen to this week's worship, you can do so on our website, brookwoodchurch.org, or you can find all of that on our Brookwood Church app. We pray that this message encourages you in your walk with Christ. How many of you put your trees up yesterday? What are the rest of you waiting on? You're just going to skip it all together this year, are you? Oh, you did it a week ago. You should just leave yours up all year. Some of my neighbors have lights on all year long. You know, I hope this Christmas we can all escape being caught up in the merchandising aspect, not to be cynical about it, but that we really could live with the awareness of Christ's arrival. To do it, you'll have to be deliberate about it, that you awaken to that thought, Christ has come. You go to bed with that thought and you think of it through the day. There, their readings, if you take out your uh, message guide, their daily readings in, in every series, their daily readings. Aside from that, the, the Christmas narrative is found in only four chapters of the Bible. Many other references, but Matthew 1 and 2, Luke 1 and 2. And just try to immerse yourself in that. I'll help you a little bit, you know, if you think, what, what do you give to the person who has everything? You know what you give them? Come on. Nothing. You just give them a note and say, I would have spent this on you, but I gave it away to someone with greater need. That's right. The person who has everything needs nothing. So today we begin our Christmas series that I've called Christmas Questions. And we know that at Christmas time, children ask the most interesting and entertaining questions. How will Santa Claus enter our house? Because we don't have a chimney. How could Santa be at the mall and Cabela's at the same time? And children's questions reveal what they're interested in, what they're thinking about. But so do the questions of adults. We tend to pay attention to answers that people respond with, but I think questions disclose more about us. The questions that we ask reveal what is on our minds what is in our hearts. There was a priest who was named Zechariah serving in the temple who asked the first question, the first Christmas question. And he asked the angel Gabriel, it's there on the top of your outline, 
How can I be sure this will happen? How can I be sure this will happen? His inquiry and our title for this message is an insecure question. Zechariah had just been informed by an angel named Gabriel, he identified himself, that he would become a father. But Zechariah was insecure. He doubted it was possible because he was old and so was his wife. Are you insecure about any of God's promises today? Now think a moment. Are you demanding greater evidence, greater assurance of some promise that God has given you? If so, then you find yourself where Zechariah was that very first Christmas. And so we will look at this discussion between Zechariah and this angel as we consider how to overcome our insecurities about God. Now the setting is 5 BC. And Israel had been experiencing a long night of spiritual darkness. God had not communicated to his people since he spoke through the prophet Malachi in about 430 BC, so more than 400 years earlier. And in that time, there had been no prophecy, no revelation, no miracles. And that's for over 400 years. During this period of silence, on the other hand, Israel was attacked, controlled, oppressed, first by Persians, then Egyptians, then Syrians, and finally Romans. Now, the temple practice was ongoing and the law was being taught by the religious leaders, but they, they taught it in this very strict, very formal way. in a way that displayed little empathy or even concern for the people. So the idea of a relationship with a personal God who cared was inconceivable, even offensive. Some religious letters would, would say it was blasphemous to imply that you knew God on a familiar level. And then God broke the silence to teach his people to trust him <coughs> trust him individually and personally. See, to overcome insecurities about God, first, we have to remember the reality of God. That really removes all questions. We're in Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 5, page 820 in the BAB, the Bible available at Brookwood. And you'll see it behind me. 
When Herod was the king of Judah, Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah. There were 24 orders or divisions of priests. One of them was Abijah. And his wife, Elizabeth, was also from the priestly line of Aaron. God had instituted that priests should be descendants of Aaron, who was Moses' brother. Now, understand this. Priests worked in an environment that was designed completely, precisely by who? Who? By God. And it was recorded in the law that was given to Moses, again, by God. And the different items that were within the tabernacle and then the temple were designed to represent and to reveal the nature of God and his past faithfulness to Israel, especially during the Exodus. Now these priests though, remember they were originally chosen by God and they served in a structure he prescribed. They fulfilled functions he specified that were all designed to promote the faith of the people. Now, it's true that at this time, the priesthood was sometimes purchased or sometimes a position was given as a political favor. So there was some corruption. So not all of the priests were actually descendants of Aaron as God had prescribed. But this couple was. Verse six, speaking of this couple, continues and says that Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes. Careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. These two honored God. They, they displayed their adoration through their obedience to their word, to his word. We've seen that over and over recently, haven't we? If we love God, it's shown in our obedience. And because of their relationship with him, he considered them righteous. Isn't it interesting? They didn't declare themselves righteous. God declared them righteous in his eyes. And really... The truth is his opinion is the only one that matters. But despite their righteousness, they experienced great disappointment and sorrow. Verse seven, they had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive and they were both very old. Well, how old is very old, I wondered. So I did some extra reading to see if anyone had an opinion or if there was any other evidence of the age of Zechariah. 
the consensus opinion was that he was at least 60. I said, Lord, I felt like I'm just getting started. And our suffering does not mean God is powerless or that he's abandoned us. Romans 8, 31 through 39. In fact, it is often the very way God displays his power first in us and to us, then through us. John 9, 3, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. At verse 8, one day Zechariah was serving God in the temple for his order was on duty that week. Each order served two weeks per year. But during the major festivals like Passover, all, all priests served, all were on duty. As was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot. That was a method of discerning God's will. We don't know exactly what a lot looked like, but it was apparently something that was cast almost like a dice and, um, or a die, Proverbs 16, 33, to determine the will of God. So he was chosen by God to enter the sanctuary of the Lord to burn incense. And a priest could do this only once in his lifetime. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. It's amazing how specific it is, isn't it? Was it that he was some vapor hovering? He stood as a man, clearly distinguishable, occupying the space, a precise space in the temple. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. Now let's think about this a minute. Zechariah was an experienced priest, at least 60 years old. So he'd been serving as a priest, let's say four decades or more. around the people of God, in the temple of God, near where the presence of God was in the Holy of Holies. Don't you think he should have been convinced of the supernatural nature of God? Don't you think he should have understood that God sent angels as messengers because he'd done it many times through the scripture? That angels would not only deliver a particular message, but also would carry out assignments for God. And yet, when the very thing that his life was based on started happening, he was shocked and scared. Despite the fact that Zechariah knew and obeyed God's word, that he diligently performed his religious duties he was unfamiliar with the actual presence of God. 
and he had a low expectation of it. Does that describe any of us? Are we attending church? Are we singing? Are we listening to messages? Are we even reading the Bible? Are we praying? But we're really not expecting God to interact with us in a way that's personal, that's tangible, that's experiential. And if you feel that way, it would be no wonder that you lack the power to obey. Is God real to me? That's the question you have to ask yourself. Not just is this Bible true? No, different matter. Is God real to me? And do I live and speak and act with a continual awareness of the reality of God? Is God real in your life? You have an idea? Overcoming insecurities about God also requires us to realize the necessity of faith. Verse 13. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Now, we're not sure what prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son and you are to name him John. So perhaps he was still praying for children. The, the name John, Yon, means Yahweh is gracious. And you will have great joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. We don't know whether Zechariah was still praying for a child. It appears that he may have given up on that because he's so old, but, or is he praying for redemption of Israel, deliverance from Rome? But we, we don't know specifically the prayer is not recorded, but God answered both of those prayers for sure. And then he had some interesting um, conditions for this young, this, this child. He must never touch wine or any other alcoholic drinks. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. Now let's think about that. Here's the child in his mother's womb still. Filled with the Holy Spirit before birth. Do you believe that? Well, you know what that means? If he's filled with the Spirit, it means this infant from birth, before birth, was what? Regenerated. This child was born spiritually alive, not spiritually dead. We're born physically alive, spiritually dead, until we receive the Spirit through regeneration. This child was regenerated 
even before he emerged. Abstinence with alcohol was associated with a Nazarite vow. Numbers chapter 6. Which was for a set period. But in John's case, it was a lifelong vow. And what it symbolized was that he would be led by God's spirit. Not by any other spirits or substances. Ephesians 5.18 refers similarly. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with a spirit and the power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. Now this is a quote from Malachi 4, 5, and 6. The final words of the Old Testament. So this child that was born would continue the word of the Lord that had stopped at the end of Malachi. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. See, God would give this couple the child they so desperately desired, but he would also provide a man with the courage and the conviction of Elijah, who's in some translations is called the forerunner of the Messiah who would prepare the people for the Messiah's arrival. And Zechariah responded with this. How can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Wouldn't you think that the appearance of an angel would remove any doubts? I mean, if an angel told you something, would you believe it? Especially if you were a priest. The priest's whole career was all about the stuff of God and the power of God and the deliverance of God and the angels of God. And yet when this angel who spoke directly to him said, you'll have a child, he said, well, how can I be sure of that? What was he looking at? What caused him to respond that way? Bruce, why did he respond that way? He was looking at himself. That's exactly the answer. Instead of focusing on the power and the faithfulness of God, Zechariah looked at himself. He looked at his wife. He doubted what the angel said and he asked for more assurance. When God speaks to you, you don't need to look to yourself. We look to the source. How do we live? Do we live by faith? Believing God's word? Or do we live by sight? Doubting God's promises because of our current circumstances. What was on your mind when you walked in this morning? Some worry, some concern, some problem? 
Have you forgotten who you serve? What are you looking to? Overcoming, if we overcome insecurities about God, we'll also receive the benefits of trusting God. Verse 19. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Zechariah doubted the word of God spoken by this angel. He asked for more proof. Was he given a sign? What? What was it? What was it? That was the sign. So the angel gave him a sign, a sign that was worthy of him. He could not speak. Now in Greek, the word is kophos, and it, it likely means, and I think we'll see evidence in this passage, it likely means not able to hear or speak. We'll see some evidence of that. See, when God asks us to trust him and we respond with doubt, when we respond with unbelief, we incur the negative consequences, not only in our faith, but in our lives. And what are those consequences? Y'all tell me, not that you experience it, but you know someone that does. When we doubt the promises of God, what do we incur? What do we experience? Stress, anxiety, worry, fear. Is there a place for any of those in, in a child of God? Well, why are we so focused on those things why are we captured by those things verse 21 meanwhile the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary the people who were waiting were wondering why he was taking so long now this is a guy in the temple serving before God in the most holy place in the world and the folks outside are going, what is he doing? <laughs> Sound familiar? And when he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. And then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. Now here's the thing. When we doubt God, it affects not only our lives negatively, but it affects the lives of everyone around us. When a father has no faith, the children fear. When a mother has no faith, the children live in anxiety. Our faith affects particularly those around us, but even those farther away. 
our refusal to trust God disables us from encouraging faith and hope to others. All of us have crises that are either in our lives or near our lives. What are you saying? What can you speak? Does your, do your words, does your presence give hope to others? Does the strength of your faith cause others to be able to believe? Because they're looking at you. They don't know how to reach God, but they can reach you. Hebrews eleven six. you know this. It's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. This priest had served in God's presence for so many years. He had the robes, he had the knowledge, he knew the practices, but he lacked the faith to believe and trust God personally. Verse 23. When Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. That's not prescribed by the law. Perhaps she just was concerned about losing this child. She may have had many mis miscarriages, actually. We don't know. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. In that culture, childness, childlessness was thought to be a judgment from God for sin. God demonstrated his kindness to Elizabeth. He displayed his compassion for Israel and the world by sending this child to prepare for the coming of the Messiah. We jump to verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, she gave birth to a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had been very merciful to her, everyone rejoiced with her. And when the baby was eight days old, they all came for the circumcision ceremony, which was the covenant sign for all Jews, Genesis chapter 17. And they wanted to name him Zechariah after his father. But Elizabeth said, no, his name is John, as Gabriel, the angel instructed. What they exclaim, there's no one in all your family by that name. So they use gestures to ask the baby's father what he wanted to name him. See, he can't hear. So he can neither speak nor hear. And he motioned for a writing tablet, which would have been a wooden, a wooden board filled with, covered with wax. And to everyone's surprise, he wrote, his name is John. Instantly, Zechariah could speak again because he had obeyed. 
And he began praising God after nine months of silence. All fell upon the whole neighborhood because they realized God was working. And the news of what had just happened spread throughout the Judean hills. Everyone who heard about it reflected on these events and asked, what will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was surely upon him in a special way. John wasn't supernatural. God did some kind of miraculous work that changed Elizabeth's body physiologically so that it could conceive. That part was miraculous. This child wasn't miraculous. This child was filled with the spirit. How's that different than any of you? But this child's name would not be Zechariah like his father because his life would display that God was gracious always. And he was a child committed to God his whole life. Nothing would ever influence him but the spirit, which is why he abstained from alcohol throughout his life. Any of us can do the work of John. All of us are called to make way for the Messiah. And he didn't possess anything that anyone who's born again has. When we stop doubting and we start trusting and obeying God, he makes a difference. He acts. What is God calling you to right now? Perhaps there's a Christmas assignment and you know it. Perhaps there's a person in need of good news. The good news may be just a, a kind word, an invitation to church and a promise to take this person to lunch afterward. That's God's indescribable gift and he's given it to you to pass along. Well, how are you responding what a wonderful Christmas this would be if we see God work in our lives. That one in your family who is far from the Lord, what if he comes back? What if she shows an interest? What if you're the one who's called to be the communicator? How different Christmas would be. You know, then... Opening presents would lose its significance when we see a life opened up to Christ, wouldn't it? And what if people notice the work of God in someone's life? It happened in your family, perhaps in this church. What about in this community? Boy, that, that would be a Christmas like no other, wouldn't it? Not that we go through the motions of giving gifts that remind us of Christ, but we see the power of God working in someone right in our midst. Who wants some of that? Let me see some hands or so, a voice or something. Who wants some of this? Let's, gonna, let's have a little enthusiasm. We're talking about the power of God. Don't be like Zechariah sitting in the midst of a holy God and hardly awake. 
Don't sleepwalk through Christmas. You may have to rouse yourselves to the presence of God, to the work of his spirit and become a messenger, a forerunner, a teller of good news. Counselors will be here. They'll pray with you. If you say, I've been off this path a long time, these people will help you get back. They'll anoint you with oil for healing. They'll pray with you. They'll talk with you. Father, we thank you that you not only sent your son, but you sent a forerunner to help people be prepared for his coming. Lord, help us be like John. Help us be messengers of good news. But Lord, by your spirit, activate our words. We ask you to change someone's life, Lord. We want that far more than a new present, no matter how valuable. Change someone's life, Lord, and let us see your work in them. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. One of the ways that you can do that is by getting connected here at Brookwood. Email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call us at 864-688-8326 to get into contact with our Connections team. You can also find our message archives on our website or on our Brookwood app. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day.